here to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we ask that before we enter into this worship service, Lord, that you just forgive us all of our sins which we have committed against you, Lord. We ask that you remember them no more and give us the strength and wisdom to be able to live our lives accordingly, Lord. Lord, we ask that while we are here, we are able to focus upon your word, which we will hear. We ask, Lord, that you be able to, that the word will prick our hearts, that be able to change our lives towards you. Allow us to just have that strength to be able to go about our lives throughout the week. Lord, we ask that you be with those who aren't able to make it here this morning. Lord, we ask that you just be with them, be that comforter unto them that they need, that they are in seek of, Lord. Lord, we ask that you be with those who are all over the world, who are worshiping you this morning, Lord. We ask that you be with them as well. Lord, be with all the churches of Christ across the land, that they be able to be in one accord, that they be able to preach the word as it is written that the truth will go out to be able to go into those who are seeking you, seeking your face, Lord, who ask what they must do to be saved. In our prayers, we ask Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please turn to page 589 in your faith and praise books. Once again, that is page 589 in your faith and praise books. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Once again, that is page 589 in your faith and praise books. Bob, let us sing. What a fellowship, what a joy divine I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. And what a blessedness, what a peace is mine I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. You know that we're leaning on Jesus, we're leaning on Jesus, we're safe and secure from all along. You know that we're leaning on Jesus, we're leaning on Jesus, we're leaning on the everlasting. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. And oh, how bright the path grows from day to day I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. You know that we're leaning on Jesus. We're leaning on Jesus. We're safe and secure from all along. You know that we're leaning on Jesus. We're 
leaning on Jesus, we're leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? I'm leaning on the everlasting arms, and I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. You know that we're leaning on Jesus. We're leaning on Jesus. We're safe and secure from all along. You know that we're leaning on Jesus. We're leaning on Jesus. We're leaning on the everlasting on. You know that we're leaning on Jesus. We're leaning on Jesus. We're safe and secure from all along. You know that we're leaning on Jesus. We're leaning on Jesus. We're leaning on the everlasting Please turn to page 613 in your faith and praise books. Once again, that's page 613 in your faith and praise books. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Once again, that's page 613 in your faith and praise books. After this, we'll have scripture reading and prayer. Once again, that's page 613 in your faith and praise books. Time is filled with swift transition, not of earth a move can stand, build your on things eternal, and you gotta hold to God's unchanging hand. Oh, church, you gotta hold to his hand, to God's unchanging Oh, church, you got to hold to his hand, to God's unchanging hand. Why don't you build your hopes on things eternal? And you got to hold to God's unchanging hand. And trust in him who will not leave you. Whatsoever years may bring, Forsaken, still more closely to him cling. Oh, church, you gotta hold to his hand, to God's unchanging. Oh, church, you gotta hold to his hand, to God's unchanging. And why don't you build your some things eternal? And you gotta hold to God's unchanging. And 
when your journey is completed. If to God you have been true, fair and bright the home in glory, your enraptured soul will view. Church, you gotta hold to its hand to God's unchanging. Oh, church, you gotta hold to its hand to God's unchanging. And why don't you build your hopes on things eternal? And you gotta hold to God's unchanging. And oh, church, you gotta hold to its hand to God's unchanging. Oh, church, you got to hold to its hand to God's unchanging. And why don't you build your something's eternal? And you got to hold to God's unchanging. Good morning, church. This morning's scripture reading with we take it from the book of Colossians, verses 9 through 12. Chapter 1, 9 through 12. That's Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Oh, excuse me, 13. Pardon me. We all have it. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard, have heard, excuse me, since we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be takers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. May the Lord add a blessing to the readers and hearers and doers of his holy word. Let's church say amen. Let us bow and go to our heavenly Father in prayer. Our Father and our God, which are in heaven. Heavenly Father, we come with our head bowed to the earth, with thanksgiving in our heart, thanking you for so many blessings that you have blessed us with. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for waking us up this morning with a reasonable portion of our health and our strength and clothing our right mind. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for giving us this privilege to assemble together 
and to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for the one that are present, and we pray, Heavenly Father, for the one that had the desire to be here, but for some reason wasn't able to be. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for the prayers that you have answered in the past, and we just pray, Heavenly Father, you will continue answering them in the future. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for blessing us with food, clothes, shelter, transportation, and financial means. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the sick and the shut-in all over the world. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you will look down on them and bless them with the thing, Heavenly Father, you know they stand in need of according to your will. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, most of all, for your love your mercy, your grace, your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who freely left his home in glory, came to earth, lived, died, and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scripture. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for the blood that he shed, that he purchased the church that we are a member of. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the church that is worshiped you in spirit and in truth, and we also pray, Heavenly Father, for the churches that are having difficulty at this time. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for your word, which is our guideline from earth to glory. And we pray, Heavenly Father, when we think, say, or do anything contrary to your word, we pray, Heavenly Father, you will forgive us and won't hold it against us at the judgment bar. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the ones that's working on the front line, we just pray, Heavenly Father, you will continue watching over them and blessing them. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the ones that's traveling and the ones that will be traveling. We just pray, Heavenly Father, they'll get to and from their destination safe without any hurt, harm, or danger coming to them. We also pray, Heavenly Father, for the bereaved family all over the world. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you will continue strengthening them where they are weak and build them up, Heavenly Father, where they are torn down and comfort those families, Heavenly Father. And we pray, Heavenly Father, a special prayer for Brother Cole Pepper as he come deliver us the bread of life. We pray, Heavenly Father, we'll listen to what we'll listen toward eternity because these will be eternal matter he will be delivering unto us. And not only listeners and hearers of your word, Heavenly Father, but also doers of your word. And Heavenly Father, the thing we learn, we pray, Heavenly Father, we will go teach and tell others what they must do to be saved. We also pray, Heavenly Father, that we will become better Christians today than we were yesterday. And we pray, Heavenly Father, we will continue loving each other more and more each day. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for the ones that's walking in darkness. We pray, Heavenly Father, they'll see the light and come to the light before it's everlasting too late. We also pray for our delinquent members. We pray, Heavenly Father, they'll come back and repent before it's everlasting too late. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that this worship service will be done decent and in order. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that it will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And Heavenly Father, when we done come to the end of our journey and said our last prayer and taken our last breath, we just pray, Heavenly Father, we'll hear those wonderful words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. 
Come on in, get your mansion, your robe, and your crown. All these blessings we ask in your son and our Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please turn to page 853 in your faith and praise books. Once again, that's page 853 in your faith and praise books. When saved, get to heaven. Once again, that is page 853 in your faith and praise books. Father, let us sing. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions, bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. Oh, when the Savior to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And when the Savior sees Jesus, We'll sing and shout the victory While we walk the pilgrim pathway Clouds will overspread the sky But when traveling days are over Not a shadow, not a sign And when the saved get to heaven What a day of rejoicing that will be and when the saints see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the tours of life repay. And when the saved get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And when the saints see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And when the saved get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And when the saints see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Turn to page 871 in your faith and praise books. Once again, that's page 871 in your faith and praise books. Beautiful. Once again, that's page 871 in your faith and praise books. Follow us. Beautiful robe, so white, beautiful land of light, beautiful home, so bright, where there shall come no night, beautiful crown, our shining and bright, oh, there 
in mansions fair and gather us there in beautiful robes and beautiful land and beautiful home and beautiful bed and beautiful crown Shining so shining, yes, shining so fair, and beautiful mansions bright, and gather us there. Beautiful thought to me, we shall forever be in thine in eternity. When from this world we're free, free from its soul and care, heavenly joys to share, and let me cross over there, and this is my prayer, and beautiful rose, and beautiful land. Shining, so shining, yes, shining, so fair, and beautiful mansions bright, and gather us there. Beautiful things on high, over in yonder sky, and thus I shall leave this shore. In counting my treasures, or where we shall never die, and carry me by and by, and never to sorrow more in heavenly soul and beautiful roads and beautiful
what a wonderful, wonderful song. Uh, it's one of those uh, songs that help you uh, continue to realize how wonderful God is. He, he has brought us from a mighty long way. Uh, he continues to sustain us as we are on this journey from earth to heaven. Uh, and surely being able to come together and to lift up our voices uh, with those songs on our hearts uh, is a blessing each time we come together in worship. Uh, to be able to give God the sacrifice of praise, uh, which is the fruit of our lips, and we do that continually. And thank you so much, Brother Culpepper, for leading us in those songs, and truly, it is a blessing uh, that we as the church lift up our voices together uh, unto God. Uh, it is a sweet-smelling savor uh, unto the Lord, because it is an act of worship. Um, appreciate all the brethren who have come before me thus far and read the word of God and certainly the prayer that was uh, prayed uh, before the throne of God and certainly uh, the request and the content that was made in the prayers is certain that certainly something that is, uh, is, uh, is certainly needed and necessary, uh, especially as we realize that these are eternal matters uh, that we are discussing. Uh, life uh, if you will, uh, will end at some time. This, this, this life will not be forever. It is temporary. Uh, and so the things that we discuss in worship service, those things that we read about in scripture, those things we pray about, those things that we sing about are about uh, the life after this life. It is about eternal life. It is about the life that John wrote about when he gave us the book of Revelations. And John says that we have been, uh, he, that he is our, uh, our brother in trial and tribulation. Um, but he says that we need to be faithful unto death. And we'll receive a crown of life that fadeth not away. And John was speaking about eternal life. And Paul, when he writes to Timothy, uh, you may know him as Timotheus. When he is uh, in Ephesus and he is addressing uh, the church, but surely Paul is encouraging uh, Timothy as the preacher there. And he says to him that there's a fight that needs to be fought. And Paul said, I have fought a good fight. He said he kept the faith. He had finished his course, and henceforth there was a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, would give him in that day, and not only to him, but also unto all those who love his appearing. These things are speaking to eternal life. And so when we sing these songs and when we read the scripture and we pray these prayers, we are focused on those things which are concerning the, the eternal things and I dare say the immortal things, those things which are spiritual, those things which are from everlasting to everlasting. Those things that do not go away because the world stops turning. But those things that continue on beyond the material things that we experience, the, beyond the material things that we are, the immortal man, the spirit of man goes on. And so it is important for us to glean from God's word what it is we need to know uh, in our mortality so that our immortal man can one day be uh, found in heaven's glory uh, among those who John saw under the altar 
who had come out of much trial and tribulation, but yet they had washed their robes uh, in the blood uh, of the Lamb. And so John reflects and lets us know that uh, no matter what we go through in life, no matter the challenges that we experience from day to day, the many uh, issues that we have to address uh, from day to day in our lives, we need to continue to look forward to that day when we are with him uh, in heaven's glory. And so that's what it means for us to, to be in worship and to uh, share in these spiritual acts of worship uh, because we are speaking to those things uh, which are uh, concerning uh, 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 salvation uh, and eternal life. I want to call your attention very quickly to Colossians chapter 1 as we read in our hearing this morning uh, these eternal matters uh, that we are addressing. Uh, we've been discussing uh, the idea of the tabernacle and, and, and just to do a quick recap, we, we laid the foundation that it is the tabernacle where God and man uh, comes together. Uh, we looked at the Old Testament and we saw where this um, implementation of the construct of the tabernacle uh, was given unto uh, Moses and the children of Israel specific. Uh, they were to build the tent. The tabernacle was transportable. It could go from one place to another. They would move the tabernacle. As a matter of fact, being that there were 12 tribes uh, if you read the story, you'll find that uh, uh, on each side of the tabernacle, being in possibly uh, a rectangular form, uh, there were three tribes. There were three tribes on each side of the tabernacle, and they all had various responsibilities. But the construct of the tabernacle itself was where man would come together and to be in fellowship and to be in communion with God. Uh, we know that there was one uh, uh, particular area within the tabernacle. Today we would know it to be the holies of holies. It would be the place where God would in fact uh, 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 be in fellowship with the high priest uh, who would in fact bring in uh, the innocent blood of animals uh, and it would be spilled on the mercy seat where the ark of the covenant sat and the Shekinah the presence of God would come down and be upon the mercy seat. And uh, there the high priest would offer, uh, if you will, the sacrifices in, uh, in, 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 in the request for the forgiveness of sin for all the people, especially himself. And those sins would be rolled forward one more year. And I think that's a very significant uh, point because uh, we do know once we make our way to the church, the construct of the spiritual kingdom of God, the church, the body of Christ. We know that the blood that was spilled once and for all was the blood of Christ. And there was therefore no more need for sin to be rolled forward. But in fact, it is the blood of Christ that provided the remission of sins. And so there was no more need for uh, a high priest in the form of man to go into the holies of holies and offer up animals' blood, innocent animals' blood for forgiveness for our Christ, Jesus. Offered up that blood once and for all on the cross, if you will. 
And Ephesians 1 and 7 makes it very clear that we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. And so we no longer uh, uh, see the construct of the tabernacle as it uh, was shaped and formed in the Old Testament, but we understand the spiritual construct of it because the Bible tells us in the Hebrews text, and we've studied this already, but in the Hebrew text it says that we are in the true tabernacle, that is the church, amen. Uh, and 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 in within the church, within the true uh, true tabernacle, there is no veil between us and God. When man comes into uh, uh, communion with God and worship, God is with us in this worship service. And being with us in this worship service, we conduct ourselves in such a way that it is acceptable and pleasing unto the Lord. And so we are in the mortal man is now in the presence of the immortal God and God sees us we talked about the uh, the attributes and if you will of the Lord being that he is immortal he is uh, omniscient omnipresent omnipotent all-knowing all-powerful all-seeing this is the God who we know present always all the time and in every place and in everywhere we read the psalm where uh, David would say if I go to the depths of the sea thou art there it doesn't matter if I go into the darkness of the mountainside, thou art there. In other words, there's nowhere we can go that God cannot see us. And so we understand that the mortality of man shows our limitations, but when it comes to the immortality, the immortality of God, God is not limited in any way aside from the way that he chosen to limit himself. And Paul made it very clear in the Hebrew text, there's only one thing that God has limited himself, and that is it is impossible. God to lie. And that's why we say, let God be true in every man, in every man a liar. When we look at this text in Colossians chapter 1, we now get into a subtopic of the immortal God and mortal man. Because now we start seeing what it means for man to be in a state or a condition. And that what, that's what it means to be in darkness. Darkness is not some idea of a, uh, a fictitious um, uh, uh, shadow, if you will. But when God speaks about darkness, he's speaking about a condition of man. Man's condition is dark. And being that it is dark, it carries with it all of the connotations that is associated in the biblical text with darkness, meaning that man is evil, or let's just say man does evil things. And those evil things are representative of the things that the devil began to perpetuate. And so those things began to overflow and to continue to permeate throughout the world, and, 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 and man picked up the bad habits of Satan. And so man's condition is dark. But man in and of himself has an opportunity to change his condition and to become light. You see, the devil wants you to think that it is hopeless for man to change his state or his condition. But God has provided us the constructs, the ark, the tabernacle, the temple, 
the church, the covenant. Whereby when man chooses to listen and to learn from God's word, man can then, if you will, understand that his condition, his state, is not something that is permanent unless he chooses it to be. But man can change. Change his state. Change his condition. And so someone would say, well, Brother Copper, what is that state? What is that condition? Well, all you have to do is go back to some of the topics we have already covered, one of them being when man fell, into the, fell in the garden, when man rejected God's word, and that is what it is, as difficult as that may sound, man rejected God's word. And when he rejected God's word, he fell. He fell into what? He fell into the state of sin. And you have to understand that and you have to appreciate that because remember prior to Satan coming in and spreading the false doctrine that he did through man, man was in communion with God. Man was in fellowship with God. God would walk and talk in the garden with man. This is the beginning in the book of Genesis. God, when he created man, we, we, we see that, that it, was not un, uh, it was not, if you will, uh, a, an, an uncommon thing for God to come and walk in the garden with man. Because when man fell, the Bible says that God came into the garden and said, where are you, Adam? Where are you? And some of us would read that text, we'd read it from our intellectual, uh, uh, natural, if you will, carnal mind. And we'll hear that word, we'll hear that phrase, where are you, Adam? And immediately we will default to, oh, he's trying to find him, his location. As if somehow Adam is lost and God cannot see him. <laughs> That's not the meaning of that phrase. The meaning of that phrase is when he says, where are you, Adam? He's saying, what is your condition now? What is your state now that you have fallen? And you've fallen from what? You've fallen from my word. John 12, 48 helps us in the New Testament text when he says, look, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word has one that judges him. For the words that I've spoken, the same are going to judge you in the last day. This principle is not new because as soon as Adam and Eve rejected God's word, they were judged accordingly. Remember, he said, you can eat of every tree of the garden, every tree in the garden, except for that which is in the midst of the garden. This was God's directive. It was God's commandment. It was God's instruction unto man. The devil knew that. The devil knew it better than man. And he comes in and he says, thou shalt not surely die. See, he flips God's entire uh, 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 instruction so that man's uh, 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 carnal mind and man's desire for something that he thinks he does not have, that they should go around God and try to acquire it, to reject God and to acquire it. And when they did so, man falls. And now man is in a state of darkness. Man is in a state of sin. Man has committed evil against God. See, we think all these words are somehow disconnected from one another, but they are not. 
All of these words, if you will, are part of the same construct. It's part of the same state, the same condition. When Ephesians chapter 2 talks about we were once children of disobedience, walking after the principalities of this world, he's talking about being in the state of darkness, doing those things which are contrary to God's word. And this is the state that man is in when he is not connected and in fellowship with God. He's in a state of darkness. She's in a state of darkness. That is their condition. That is the position that they are in. And the devil, if you will, puts so much pressure and challenge on, on us. We, we forget about that God says, no, you can go on to perfection. You can, you can obey the gospel and you can change your state and you can change your condition. You can change your position that the devil has put before you and you can come back to where I am and we can be in fellowship once again and you can go on to perfection. You can become holy. As God says, he is holy. This is the commandment. This is the direction that is given. And God's saying, this is possible. It's possible. But man has before him. She has before her a choice to make. And that choice is, is that they have to consider whether or not they desire perfection or they desire to be in darkness, to be in a condition and a state that leads to, to, to everlasting damnation, or, if you will, to be translated. To be translated. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and he says in verse number 9, for this call, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You may recall that we talked about that. Be filled with all spiritual understanding. The things that we speak about are the things that are speaking about eternity. These are eternal matters that we are talking about. Spiritual understanding, right? It's not about some snake crawling up around a tree with an apple in his mouth. Whatever that fruit was in the midst of the garden, you can't find it in the book of Genesis saying it was an apple. And I can certainly show you in the book of the Bible where you, if, you, if you understand the serpents that is, we understand the serpents and snakes, I want you to tell me which snake or serpent have you ever seen has come walking in the garden. So we look at our children's stories in these books that portray certain stories that it uh, uh, pretends to reflect concerning the biblical text, and we miss the point entirely. It wasn't about it being an apple. It's not the point. Whatever fruit it was, it was something that God says was not for them to have at that time. There's no indication that God was never going to let them eat of it. But it wasn't allowed at that time. But whatever fruit it was, 
is irrelevant anyway. Because the focus is, it was commanded of God. They had that fellowship and that relationship with God. They were, they were in the light with God. But when they sinned, they were cast out of that light. They were cast out of the garden of Eden. They were cast out of that light and they were cast into a, a condition and a state of darkness. Spiritual understanding, Paul says to the Colossian church. And verse number 10 says that this spiritual understanding causes us to do something. You see, when we have a spiritual understanding of the, of the, of the, of the ark, amen, when we have a spiritual understanding of the temple, the tabernacle, when we have a spiritual understanding about the church, the body, the kingdom, when we have a spiritual understanding about the old and the new covenant, the Bible, if you will, the testament of God, the commandments of God, when we have a spiritual understanding, then we can begin to walk worthy. To walk worthy. To walk worthy where? When someone's walking, apparently there is a destination. Now this idea of walking worthy here, once again, figurative language, right? What does it mean to walk worthy? You see, because back in the day, if you came from where I came from, you know, uh, brothers and sisters had all kinds of walks. Physically. But that's not what this is speaking about. When he talks about walking worthy, he's talking about how, how, is, how are you living your life? What is the state of your life? What is the condition of your life? What is the position of your life? That is what he means when you say walk worthy. When, when I'm walking, he's talking about a physical, mental, emotional conversation that is representative of who you are in Christ. Am I striving to be holy? Because he is holy. Is the behavior of my life representing who I claim to be? I claim to be a child of God. Is your life manifesting itself based on the statement that you have made? Are you living a life that represents holiness? Paul says to the church of Colossae that ye might walk worthy. The word, wonderful word here, the adjective here, might walk worthy. In other words, just being in Christ is not, if you will, uh, a, a, um, uh, 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 even being in Christ does not remove you from the possibility of falling. We'll deal with Hebrew chapter 6 as I close out because that's what Hebrew ch chapter 6 speaks about when he talks about the danger of apostasy. Even in Christ, there's a danger of apostasy. Because once tasted, if you will, and we'll deal with the idea of, taste, uh, uh, of, uh, of what it means to once have tasted. But when, you, when he talks about walking worthy, the conversation and being, if you will, in Christ Jesus, it's about how we are living our lives that represent who we are in Christ as God's children. That ye might walk worthy. Just knowing that shows that it is a decision that needs to be made. Because if we might walk worthy, that means that we might walk unworthy. And so one needs to make a decision on which way and how they are going to walk. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord. Of who? Of the Lord. And, and I'm glad that he says that. I'm going to spend just a little, minute, a, little, a little time here. 
when, when he says that you might walk worthy of the Lord, that excludes. This is, this, is, this is the definite article, the, the Lord, meaning there is no one else that is relevant here. You're not trying to walk worthy of your best friend. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. I might get in trouble here. You're not trying to walk worthy of anyone else. You're striving to walk worthy of the Lord. You see? And when you're striving to walk worthy of the Lord, what that means is, is that everyone else is excluded. So it does not matter, if you will, what everyone else thinks. It does not matter what everyone else is doing. All of that is irrelevant because your walk of worthiness is not based on whether or not you are pleasing them. Your worthiness is based on whether or not you're pleasing God. So Paul says that we walk worthy. And he puts the definite article in there of the Lord. I'm reading from the King James Version 1611 for those of you who who have your Bibles. Whether it is in digital form or paperback or whatever you have. Let's turn to it. Let's follow along with it. In Colossians 1 and 10, so he says that ye may, might rather, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. You Lord, have mercy. Remember when Paul writes to Timothy, and Timothy is in Ephesus. Now, there's a lot going on in Ephesus. And many of you who have been in Bible class, you've studied this, you understand it. But there is so much going on in Ephesus. Ephesus is full of idolatry. Sounds like California. I mean, sounds like Georgia. I mean, sounds like New York. I mean, sounds like Texas. I mean, sounds... Whatever 50 you want, amen, Whatever, whichever one you want, right, it sounds like that. We are striving to walk worthy unto all pleasing. Paul says to Timothy, when you're studying and you're studying the word of God, you're studying it so that you can show yourself approved unto God. I'm not trying to approve myself. I'm not trying to be approved by anybody else but the Lord. You follow what I'm saying? Nobody else matters but the Lord. Because, if, if, because at the end of the day, these are eternal matters. We, you know, life ends at some place. And I can guarantee you, no matter how many friends you make, no matter how many friends you make, no matter how many relationships you may have upon this face of this earth, and in, in your mind, they may be good uh, relationships. Some of them you know are bad, amen, when you can. But whatever those relationships are, I can guarantee you at your funeral service, ain't nobody trying to jump into the casket. Amen. You going all by yourself. Amen. You know, they might act like they want to be buried with them. Oh, take me with them. Oh, no, that ain't. If you threw them over in there, the first thing they do is jump out. They're not trying, not trying to go until it's their time. So we're working worthy to please the Lord. Because once, once the body has ceased to be animated, death has arrived. And, and, and that body's not getting up. Amen. 
Don't start telling me about all these so-called miracles. Somebody was in the, they put them in the morgue and all of a sudden they stood up and sat up and whatever. They couldn't check the pulse right. They were still alive. But I can guarantee you this, the body, James says, without the spirit is dead being alone. Let me tell you something, when God takes that spirit from that body, I don't care where they at. That's what I said. Don't be t- quote me how the Oxford English grammar makes it. Wherever they are, that body's not moving. Ever again. Right? You can read Frankenstein all you want. Amen. I don't care how many bolts of lightning you put through some instrument. That body is not going to move. Because when God takes that spirit, it is over. That spirit is now waiting on judgment. That's the end of that. And so we need to get out of the, 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 the books of fiction uh, and, 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 and children's stories and start reading about those things which are based on eternal matters, spiritual matters. We have people running around thinking, oh, I'll just be reincarnated and I'll come back as a butterfly. No. When God takes that spirit, that body is dead, being alone. And God is not taking your spirit and putting it in a butterfly. He says that we walk worthy to please God. Not to please man, but to please God. Our manifestation of of, of who we are, the condition and the position that we are in, our state needs to change. It needs to uh, uh, grow from the idea of it being in darkness and understanding that God has translated us into uh, his marvelous kingdom. And his kingdom is the kingdom of light. Going on in verse number 10, he says, being fruitful in every good work and and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening with all might according to his glorious power. Let me tell you something. There's a lot here that we can we can try to unpack. But but let me tell you something. We talked about what it meant to be fruitful. We referenced Galatians chapter uh, five and you can go back there and read it for yourself and and get that again. But we talked about being fruitful in in every good work and and increasing in the knowledge of God. We talked about that because Paul said, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant, but to understand what the will of the Lord is. And this is a the the, the spiritual things of God. Verse 11, strengthen with all might. We talked about how Paul said he went to the Lord thrice about some condition that he had. And that condition, whatever it might have been, Jesus came back and said, my grace is sufficient. And then Paul realized, if you will, when Jesus says, my strength is made perfect in weakness, Paul comes back and says, I can do all things. I can do all things in Christ Jesus. I can do all things. And all those things that Paul was speaking about are the good works that God had commanded him to go forth and to do. So we are strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. His glorious power. 
When we talk about translation, and we'll get it to, I'm almost there. When we talk about the, the, the coming from darkness to light, we're talking about trans being translated, coming from one state, one condition, one position to another. And the only way we can come from one position and condition and state to another is be based on the power of God. You can't do it on your own. You don't have what it takes to do it on your own. You need the glorious power of God. And that's why Paul says to us in Romans 1 and 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To all those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the glorious power of God is not a mystery. The glorious power of God is the word of God. It is the covenant. It is the gospel within the covenant that helps us understand why it is that Christ came and, 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 and hung on a cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, if you will, laid there for three days and for three nights, but got up on resurrection morning. Took away on a cloud, as according to uh, uh, Daniel and according to Acts chapter 1. Went home on a cloud, and when he made it, if you will, as Ezekiel will record, he arrived in heaven on a cloud. And when he arrived in heaven on a cloud, he was given dominion. He was given a kingdom. That kingdom is the church. It, is, it belongs to him. And so when we talk about the glorious power of God, we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the covenant. Where one, if you will, obeys the gospel. And in any one of these dispensations, where the spiritual construct of the ark, the spiritual construct of the tabernacle, the spiritual construct of the temple, the spiritual construct of the church, it's all based on the covenant. Before Noah entered into the ark, God made a covenant with him. Before God gave Moses the tabernacle, God made a covenant with him. Before David and uh, Solomon worked on building the temple, God gave a covenant to them. And when they built the church, God gave a covenant. Gave a covenant. These are spiritual matters. And these spiritual matters cannot be changed because of our own whims. They are forever written. In heaven, as David would say in the psalm, forever, O Lord, thy word is written in heaven. The master teacher, Jesus, would say it just a little bit differently, but he would say it nevertheless the same in Matthew 16 when he talks about the kingdom and the church. He would say to us that, that whatsoever is bound in heaven, bound in heaven, bound in heaven, it's already bound in heaven. Ye shall bind on the earth. In other words, you're not doing something different. You're doing that which has already been affirmed. It's already been affirmed. And so now we bind it upon the face of the earth because it's already been bound in heaven. That tells you that there is nothing that man can do to be translated from one state to another without the glorious power of God. Because God's power, God's binding says that if man is going to be translated, it can only happen when they obey the gospel. And until one obeys the gospel, they will forever be in darkness. And, and, and God help us. No matter how good, 
how many good things that they do. Right? Because only truly God knows who's good anyway. But no matter how many things that are manifested that we may, if you will, interpret as being good within the limitations of our carnal mind, we would say as, 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 as God, if you will, would, would, would share with us uh, uh, about Cornelius and, and he would call Cornelius a just man. And, 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 and when God, when the Bible calls you just, amen, what are you gonna, how are you going to argue with the Lord? The Lord called him a just man. Amen. God knows the heart. Amen. In other words, God knew something about Cornelius that we would never know. Called him a just man. Amen. One who gave much alms and, 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 and known and treated the people right. But he wasn't a saved man. Amen. He may have been doing good things and, and those good things may have helped a whole lot of people. And, and God acknowledged that. Amen. But doing good things alone. It's not enough to save the soul. Doing good things alone is not enough to translate one from darkness into the marvelous light. You need to couple your good things with the power of God. Amen. Because now your good things are not being done because of your own selfish whims of you thinking somehow that's going to get you credit on God's, <laughs> on God's books. But you're now doing those good things because it is not something that's being done from the outside in. In other words, your good thing appeared before men, and so you get the praises of men, but you don't have any praises of God. The good things that you want to be done are the good things that come from your heart. It comes from that spiritual man. It comes from that spiritual place where you're doing these things because God, if you will, has shown you that these are things that should be done, must be done. And so you spend your life in service to others to whom much is given, much is required. You spend your life in service to others. As Paul tells Timothy about the rich people. There's no sin in being rich. God has given you the opportunity and the, and the, and the span of time to be able to accumulate wealth and, and material things. There's no sin in being wealthy and rich. But the question is, what are you doing with it? Are you doing it to yourself? Are you doing it to help somebody else? Because the commandment from God is, Timothy, make sure that you inform the rich that they be ready to distribute. <laughs> In other words, God didn't give it to you just for you to hoard it for yourself. But it's supposed to be distributed. Use it to his glory. Amen. As a matter of fact, anything that anyone gets upon the face of this earth anyway is because God has allowed it. He says, be ready to distribute. My point being that good things alone doesn't take you from darkness to light. The power of the gospel is the energy that propels one to move from a state and a condition of wickedness and evil and darkness to that state of being in the light. Paul would go on in the Colossians text in verse 11 as he says, strengthen with all, uh, all might according to his glorious power <clears throat> unto what? All patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Notice that these are, these are things that are manifested in one's life. 
They're behavioral, right? Learning how to be patient, learning how to be long-suffering. And let me tell you something. Humanity, if, if, if there's any attribute or characteristic of humanity that is lacking in our world today, is long-suffering. Boy, we don't, and, and, and coupled with patience, boy, you're in the trouble. <laughs> not only am I not willing to help you bear your burden, I don't have time for you and your burden. Amen. <laughs> Paul says there's some... growth and development that is necessary when one is translated from the power of darkness into the, uh, into the, into the kingdom of his dear son. And, and that kingdom of his dear son is the light, if you will, translated into the light. He says, look, it, 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 we, we, we are translated through that glorious, that glorious power of God unto all patience and, and long-suffering with, with joyfulness. Someone would say, man, I, you know, I got to be patient and, and I, I got to be long-suffering and then I got to like it at the same time. Yeah. So when you put that list up there and you say, who needs to grow in these areas? You might as well go ahead and say, my name is on the list. Everybody's name is on the list. Because we need to grow. And we need to move on and work toward perfection. And to move on and working toward perfection is to grow in these areas that keep us reflecting what is in darkness rather than what is in the light. Verse number 12, giving thanks unto God, the Father, which has made us meet, made us meet, made us meet, made us, look, he, he prepared us through the power of the glorious gospel, through the the, 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 the teaching of his word and us receiving that word and allowing that word to shape and to mold us as Ephesians chapter 2 would remind us we are God's workmanship. It has changed us and it has allowed us, if you will, to grow and to become that which is meat. Which is meat. To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. It's made us meet. Brother Copper, I, I, what, what does meet mean? Well, I can definitely let you know it's not spelled in the A-T. Made us meet. Appropriate. Relevant. Common. Relationship. Molded her 
same things. That there's a, there's a commonality, if you will, among those who are partakers of the saints in light. They have a common relationship, a fellowship, if you will. His glorious power made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, not, not, not in light, not, not in darkness, but in light, not in darkness, but in light. In other words, what this helps us to understand is that you have no inheritance from God in darkness. You are not identified as one that is worthy of the treasures and the gifts of heaven but if you are remaining in darkness, in a state, in a condition that God frowns upon. There is no inheritance there. No matter how good you may have tried to live your life, treating people with fairness and equity and Maybe even strive and strove to be philanthropic as Cornelius was. Gave much alms and tried to help people with whatever you had. All those things cannot be done alone. They must be coupled with the translating of your spiritual life um, to God. In Romans chapter 8. Paul writes to us concerning um, this idea uh, of inheritance. And in Romans chapter 8, and I'm, I'm, I'm running out of time here, so I'm going to have to drop down uh, quickly. I'm going I'm to start, I will start at uh, verse number 9. That, that, that's just, I think I have some time here. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. He says, but ye are not in the flesh. Lord, Lord have mercy. There's the, in, there's the eternal matters. All the stuff prior to that talks about carnality and, and being in the flesh and all that. You, we've read it before. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. See, spiritual matters. Eternal. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now look, if. If the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Well, I can tell you right now, the Bible said God gives his spirit to all those who obey him. So if you haven't obeyed the gospel, guess what? The spirit of God doesn't dwell in you. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but I'm trying to get us to understand. These are spiritual matters. This, this is nothing personal. It's not trying to, to bring anyone down. We're trying to bring you up to where God is. Because if you truly want to be saved, then you cannot be saved based on your own principles and philosophies. You must be saved by how God has said you, need to, you must be saved. And he says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwelling you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus. He said, if you don't have the spirit of God, you're none of his. And let me tell you something. The first thing people want to do is run around and say, I have the spirit of God. You have a spirit. I know that because you're walking. Amen. Because if you didn't have a spirit, that body wouldn't be animated. But that's not the question. The question is, do you have the spirit of God? 
And the only way you're going to remain, you're going to uh, uh, receive the spirit of God is that you obey the gospel. Amen. And that spirit of God in obeying the gospel is the baptismal measure of being the Holy Spirit. God gives his spirit, Acts 5, 32, to all those who obey him. Obey what? Obey the gospel, the glorious power of God. You can't acquire the spirit any other way. Just lifting up your hands and looking into heaven and saying, Lord, give me your spirit. It ain't going to happen. Because that's not the commandments of God. Bible says baptism. Baptism. Ephesians chapter 3 and uh, uh, verses 13 and 14 speaks about how Christ dwells in us by faith. And as of Christ dwells in us by faith, the Father dwells in us by faith. As the Father and Christ dwells in us by faith, the Spirit dwells in us by faith. Second John 9 makes that very clear. That if you, if, you, if, you, if you don't have Christ, then you don't have the Father. Amen. And if you don't have the Father, you don't have Christ. And I guarantee you, if you don't have the Father in Christ, you sure enough don't have the Holy Spirit. You can't have one without the other. And so we, we, we need to understand. And so he, he, and he goes on, he says, look. And if you, verse number 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. Lord have mercy. Also quicken your mortal bodies by, the, by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. When he talks about quickening your mortal body, what he's saying is, through the glorious power of God, I've given you the strength to change. The strength to change. Someone will go here and say, oh, he's going to quicken our mortal bodies and our bodies going to be taken into heaven. No flesh shall enter into heaven. Your, your baptism. God gives his spirit to all those that obey him. You come out of the water grave of baptism with the necessary strength to begin to change your life. Because you can, through the glorious gospel, through the word of God, through the power of God, as, as, as Matthew would remind us in Matthew 28, he says, Jesus says, all power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. All excusia, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority, right? All authority. Well, the devil, can, the devil can't do jack because he has no authority. All authority is in Christ. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You did it. Because he has no authority. Jesus has all authority. All power. And in 
until God in 1 Corinthians 15 and 24 says, until Jesus delivers up the kingdom, the, the, which is the light of uh, that, that God has placed upon the face of the earth, until uh, 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 Jesus delivers up the church and the, the kingdom, the body, the people of God until he delivers them up and returns that back to God. Then God will once again have over all and all power once again. But at this time, the father has delegated authority to his son. That's why Jesus says he has all authority. How do you know that, Brother Culpepper? Because on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter and all of his bolster. He should have been just happy to be there. But you know how Peter is. Lord, I see you in this image of transformation. And I'm sitting there looking and I see you there with Moses and, and with Elijah. Matter of fact, three tabernacles and God steps in. The Father says, this is my beloved son. Transfiguration. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. That's on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what Jesus, that's what, that's what the Father said concerning Jesus. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't run from that. Don't run from that because there's, there's some, there, there's some, the glorious power of Christ has now been conferred because those who want to follow after the Old Testament, God has now told you that Moses doesn't have authority over Christ. Those who may want to follow after the prophets, because some people don't want to attribute the, 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 the books of the Old Testament, uh, uh, especially the first five books. They, they, they want to they uh, couple, if you will, uh, uh, the first five books to Moses, but then the, they, they, they want to exclude the other books. See, they, don't, they, 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 they stop at the first five because they don't want the rest of them. They want to stay, they want to stay with, the, with the Pentateuch, the first five. That's it, right? So now you have one of... The greatest uh, I, the, the, the prophets that God had identified in the transfiguration. And even if you want to stay with the prophets, he says, no. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. So not only is Moses relegated to the son's power. The prophets are relegated to the son's power. So you can't go into the Old Testament and try to say the Old Testament has power over the New Testament because the New Testament is where Christ has brought the word. And that word is where the Holy Spirit has given it to the apostles. And the apostles have spoken it and wrote it whereby we can read it. So we find ourselves understanding now that When God has uh, quickened us in our mortal bodies, we, we're looking at the spirit being given to us because of our obedience of the word of God to the word of God. And, and by his spirit that dwells in us, he says, our flesh is now dead. It, 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 we don't live after the flesh anymore, but we live after the spirit. Verse number 13 in Romans 8 and 13, he goes on and says, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You bring those things into subjection. You do it because of the power of God that has been conferred to Christ. For as many 
as are led by the Spirit of God. And a lot of people want to say, they, they want to run there once again. Everybody wants to, you know, they want to relegate their responsibilities to, to, to somebody, some third party, so they can blame the third party if they don't do right. No. When he says led by the Spirit, he's saying that the Word of God is how you need to be led. Brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant, but to understand what the will of the Lord is. For what purpose? So that you can do that which God has commanded to be done. The Holy Spirit has given the word to the apostles, John chapter 16. The apostles have written it and wrote it and spoke it. And so now we read it to get an understanding so that, so that as we're making this translation from darkness, this, 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 this being translated from darkness to light, we're doing it based on the power of God, which is the only thing that can get us from the pate, which is the darkness, into the light. He says, look, you do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Remember what David said in the Psalm 119? Thy word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my pathway. David says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Notice that he said nothing about the Holy Spirit keeping him from sin. He said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I've hidden your covenant in my heart so that as I am making decisions and meditating and, 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 and discerning the things that I should do, I have your word there guiding me to do that which needs to be done. The devil is not making anybody do anything. And certainly you have control over your own bodies to do that which you choose to do. But certainly, let's get to the inheritance part of this. In verse number 14, he says, for ye, are, for ye have, uh, uh, verse number uh, 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Of adoption. Lord have mercy, of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, the Aramaic word for father. So this is really father, father. But he says, look, you've received the spirit of adoption. In other words, when you obey, uh, obey the gospel, when you obey the glorious power of God, when you obey the word of God that's translating you from darkness into the light, you are no longer a stranger, but you become a son. You become a daughter. You are now adopted. And when you become adopted... You have access to all the inheritance of the family treasures. Because you are now a son, a daughter. The Bible says, verse number 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that ye are the children of God. And if children, and then here you are, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him. That we may be also glorified together. We become joint heirs with Christ. 
the inheritance in Colossians as we make our way back there. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which made us meet to be partakers. And now you know what it means to be meet to be partakers. We're now heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Lord have mercy. Isn't that a blessing? We are joint heirs with Christ when we obey the gospel. Do you know what that means? That means we have access to those things which are eternal. Lord have mercy. So have we, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, so have we borne the image of the terrestrial. Right? We've borne the image of flesh and blood and bone. We've borne this image. But when man comes from the idea of being mortal to that which is immortal to become that which is eternal, so as we have borne the image of the celestial, so uh, uh, the terrestrial, so shall we bear the image of the celestial, that which is eternal, that which represents Christ, the Father, the Holy Spirit, all the other divine beings of heaven's glory. We shall bear that image. 1 Corinthians 15 helps us to understand we've been translated. We're coming from the pate, the darkness, into the marvelous light. Partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And in order to be in the light, you got to be in the kingdom. You got to be in the church. Look at verse number 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Whoa, I'm, I'm closing here. I'm closing here. I, I, I'll pick up Hebrews chapter 6 next time. I'm closing here. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness. From the power of the pate. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Lord have mercy. Let me tell you something. If you didn't know before. Hopefully you'll know now. That without God's glorious gospel. Without the word of God. Without the covenant of God. Let me tell you something. You cannot get out of darkness. Darkness has power. And it is holding you there. And you can't get away from it until you get something in you that is stronger than what's holding you. You see, Jesus says when he came, his presence pierced into darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. In other words, the darkness can't handle the light. When light comes upon darkness, even in our natural sense, just think about it. If I turn out these lights, it will be dark in here. But when I turn the lights on, darkness has to escape. Because now you can see everything. This is the same thing when it comes to the piercing, uh, uh, if you will, the piercing and the illuminating gospel. That is the light of the glorious gospel that shines into the darkness, the darkest places, the darkest places of man's heart. 
and only the gospel can. There's something that you, some things that we can hide so deep down into our into our carnal psyche, and it look, it look, look, and, and you think nobody can get to it, and God's sitting there looking right at it. God sees who we are, and you know how He does it. He does it through the Word of God. He do He does it through the through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 4, in verse number 12, for the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of asunder of the soul and the spirit. Of the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's word sees into the deepest, darkest places of our hearts, of our minds, of our conscience. God sees it. You may think you're hiding it from everybody, and maybe you are successful from uh, 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 when you when it comes to hiding it from us. But you're not successful when it comes to trying to hide it from God, because God sees it. And that's why baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it's an answer of a good conscience toward God, because God. God's word pierces into the hearts of man. And, 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 I, and, I, and as I read the next verse in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, you ain't hide nothing from the Lord. God sees everything and knows all things. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. Hold on to the word of God, immortal man, that you can become. Because God says this is what it means to move toward perfection. It is God's word that shapes us and molds us. Being in this place, the church coming together into this place, this true tabernacle in the presence of God and hearing his word come forth. It is meant to pierce into the deepest part of our consciousness so that we can begin to reflect and then begin to change. Change from what? Change in terms of translated to come out of darkness. Come out of that state. Come out of that condition come into the light as Paul says as we close out Colossians and we're closing out the sermon Paul says that he's translated he translated us verse number 13 who have delivered us from the power of darkness whatever it is that was holding us there whatever it was 
that was holding us there, those of us who have obeyed the gospel, we were able to move forward because we began to trust in God's word. And that is the power of God. And he says, hath, hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Man is on a journey, a journey of being, of being translated that we may continue to move toward perfection. And, 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 and as we continue to do that, we, we, we see ourselves, if you will, in two frames. We see ourselves based on where we were, and we see ourselves based on where we are. It is God's vision that sees us where we should be. And so Paul says to us, you need to understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is that we might be saved. Amen. That we might be saved. And by being saved and living faithful unto death, that we can one day enter into heaven's glory. So God sees our future of where we should be, where we can be. What we see is where we were and where we are. None of us can see into the future. If you can see the future, let me know, because I got some lottery tickets up in here. Figure out. We can be saved, and we can be saved, and, and if we live and choose to live faithful unto death, this mortal man can put on immortality. We can, we, can, we can once again regain that which the devil stole from us. The devil stole it from us. Lord have mercy. By trickery, he stole it from us. By beguiling Man's first creation, he stole it from us. You do realize that man had immortality in the Garden of Eden. Man would never die in the Garden of Eden. Man was going to live forever. How do you know this? Because God says we got to put a separation now between them and the tree of life because they will live forever in sin. We can't allow that to happen. So God had to separate them because they would have lived forever. Immortality is about living forever. And I share this with you. If you want to live forever someplace, and it's not going to be this place. But if you desire to live forever someplace, make sure that your desire is in where God's future is in heaven's glory. If you're going to live forever somewhere, desire to live forever in heaven. So Romans 10 and 17 says, so then faith. Cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Matthew 6 and 33 says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God is able to provide all of our needs. We confess Jesus Christ to be the son of God. Matthew 10, 32 says, we do it before men. We acknowledge through the life that we live that we believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And we certainly do it verbally. If at all possible, the consciousness knows God knows, but we acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, died for our sins, was buried and rose again on that third day, went into heaven's glory, received a dominion, received the kingdom. Now we wait for him to come back and receive a glorious church without having spot, wrinkle, or blemish or any such thing. And we, we, we go down to that watery grave of baptism, and when we go down in that watery grave of baptism, notice that the Bible says, uh, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. You may say, well, why is it that it's so significant that God says that it is by one spirit that we're all baptized into that one body? Because only God knows how to translate us from the darkness into the marvelous light. Only God knows how to do that. It is the operation of God. His glory is power. It's the operation of God. And, and, and that's why I, I dare us question the necessity of baptism. The essentiality of it. Because the Holy Spirit does his operation here. Now you have a choice to stay in the light or to go, into dark, go back into the darkness. But certainly... The spirit knows his job. And let me tell you something. When God, the spirit baptizes and translates us into the kingdom of the dear son, God knows those that are his. Why don't you come right now as we stand and sing the invitational song. Why don't you come? Somebody is knocking at your door. Somebody's knocking at your door. Oh. Somebody's knocking at your door. He can save you. Somebody's knocking at your door. He can save you. Somebody's knocking at your door. Oh, sinner, why don't you answer? Somebody's knocking at your door. Knocks like Jesus. Somebody's knocking at your door. Knocks like Jesus. Somebody's knocking at your door. And oh, sinner, why don't you answer? Somebody's knocking at your door. Will you answer? Somebody's knocking at your door. And will you answer? Somebody's knocking at your door. And oh, sinner, why don't you answer? Somebody's knocking at your door.